0: Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News, Russia-Ukraine war podcast. The show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine with your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Wednesday, March 21st, 2023 and the end of week 56 of the Russia-Ukraine war. It's been 3,311 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 392 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that Russia's large-scale winter offensive has culminated, and I think that can go without saying going forward. Second, we maintain that Russian combat potential is fading across the entire theater of war, and the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective. Third, we assess that the Ukrainian defense of Bakhmut remains in a critical state and is fluid, but defensive lines have been stabilized. Fourth, our assessment of an elevated risk of cruise missile attacks against Ukrainian civilians and civilian infrastructure was partially correct, with three KH-59 guided cruise missiles and 21 shahed 136 Kamikaze drones fired at Ukrainian targets. Fifth, we maintain that Russian forces are experiencing a critical shortage of anti-tank guided missiles, or ATGMs, and man-portable anti-tank weapons. And we probably don't need to keep mentioning it. Sixth, we maintain that Russian forces are experiencing a perceived shortage of non-precision artillery munitions theater-wide. Seventh, we maintain that Russia no longer has the resources to cause catastrophic economic, social, or military disruptions by targeting Ukraine's electrical infrastructure. Yeah, we can retire this entry, too. Eighth, We maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident due to the de energization of Ukraine's electrical grid as long as the Russian Ministry of Defense or MOD continues to target Ukraine's power industry. Ninth. We maintain that short of using chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear or seaburn weapons, the Russian military will continue doing everything possible to capture Bakhmut regardless of the cost. Tenth. We maintain that the public infighting between private military company or PMC Wagner Group's leader Yevgeny Prigozhin and the Russian MOD has reached a dangerous level, with Prigozhin repeatedly claiming it's impacting Russian offensive operations. Consider this entry retired as well. Eleventh, we maintain that the Russian MOD is actively working to eliminate the influence of PMC Wagner Group and Yevgeny Prigozhin, both on and off the battlefield. Twelfth, we maintain the Kremlin is actively attempting to topple the legitimate government of Moldova. And finally, we maintain the Kremlin is also actively interfering with the Georgian government's attempt to join the European Union. One year ago yesterday, on March twenty-first, two 2022, we assessed that Russian forces had lost the initiative in the Kyiv and Chernihiv operational areas, which was prophetic. Ukrainian forces recaptured the village of Moschun, 9 kilometers northeast of Bucha, with the Kyiv counteroffensive now 24 hours away. Unknown at the time, Ukrainian forces completed the first successful resupply mission with helicopters to surrounded Ukrainian forces in Mariupol. Russian forces punitively shelled Mariupol, and the VKS bombed Azovstal after Ukraine rejected an unconditional surrender demand. In Kherson, Russian forces towed helicopters stationed at Chornobayevka out of the city due to repeated Ukrainian artillery strikes. Later in the day, live ammunition was fired into anti occupation protesters, killing one. Near Izum, Ukrainian forces blew up two bridges in an attempt to slow the Russian advance. The city of Severodonetsk was heavily shelled, as were Kharkiv and Chernihiv. An official highway sign pointing to, quote, F*** Off, in all directions, appeared near Odessa. It was later sold at an auction. Russia Today reported on port operations at Berdyansk in a colossal failure of operational security that would have repercussions three days later. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. In the Dvorichna operational area, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Russian forces attacked Masyutivka without success. Both combatants described Dvorichna and the Kupiansk operational area as stable. So, moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. In the Svatova operational area, Possibly due to a lack of progress around Kremina, Russian forces have stepped up their attacks on the settlement of Novoselivske. There was no change in the situation. The Russian MOD reported that their forces attacked Stelmakhivka. In the Kremina operational area, the situation remains unchanged. Russian mercenary mill blogger Wargonzo continued to be the only source reporting fighting near Makivka and claimed there was an attack in the direction of Nevelsky. Positional battles continue from Polshanka to Zhitlivka, still with no changes in the situation. Fighting in the forested areas west, southwest, and south of Kremina also continued, with Russian combat power fading. The GSAFU and Warganzo reported a Russian attack on Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, which was unsuccessful. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, Russian forces attempted to advance on Verhnukhom from the oil refinery. In previous reports, we noted how the terrain is extremely unfavorable from that direction and how Russian troops, including the Luhansk People's Republic or LNR, Donetsk People's Republic or DNR, and Ahmad, have repeatedly failed to reach the village. In the Mahmut operational area, fighting was intense, with Russian forces launching an anticipated renewed push, particularly from the south. There were reports early in the day that PMC Wagner mercenaries, supported by Russian troops, had reached where the MiG-17 statue was once displayed and breached Korsunskoho Street, reaching as far as Avanhard Stadium in central Bakhmut. Multiple drone videos showed squad-size Russian units advancing in multiple areas without armor support. NASA fire information for resource management systems showed that Ukrainian city center areas were heavily shelled. Russian forces could not consolidate or hold their gains, however, and were pushed back across the south. Near the MiG-17, Ukrainian forces claimed that Russian troops lost between 500 to 750 meters of territory, while near the Mariupol Cemetery gained 100 to 200 meters. We can't verify the specific claims and, based on multiple geolocated videos, recorded small Russian gains in the southeastern part of the city. The intensity of fighting to the north was lower, with PMC Wagner, supported by Russian forces, attempting to advance on Minkivka, Ryurivka, and Orihovo-Vasilivka, all without success. Wagner mercenaries also continued attempts to advance on Bortanivka and Kromova, with no change in the situation. The most intense fighting to the north and northwest was around Bohdanivka. Fighting continued near Ivanivske with no change in the situation. The United Kingdom Ministry of Defense, Defense Intelligence Directorate, claimed that Russian units are being withdrawn from the Bakhmut operational area and reallocated to other regions of Ukraine. If true... This is another blow to Yevgeny Prigozhin and PMC Wagner. While we're reluctant to question the British military, who obviously have vastly more resources than our team, we're hesitant to recognize this as a withdrawal and not a potential troop rotation. Notably, PMC Wagner has not released a map update in five days. The GSAFU reported a Russian attack in the direction of Pretechne was repulsed, we don't have enough information to determine if that was a DRG unit on reconnaissance or a larger attempt to cross the Siversky-Donetsk-Donbass canal in the direction of the village. Russian shelling of Chasivyar and Krasnohorivka using Tornado S MLRS and 152mm artillery killed three civilians, including a married couple in Chasivyar, when their house was destroyed in the attack. In the Toretsk, New York operational area, A Russian attack on the Severny district in eastern Pivnichne was unsuccessful. A video suggested the attack was on the northwestern edge of Mayorsk. In southwest Donetsk, in one of the strangest occurrences in the open-source intelligence space, Russian and Ukrainian sources were mutually screaming that Stepova was not under Russian control and for social media users to stop spreading false information. In the Avdiivka operational area, we did pull the line of conflict closer to Krasnohorivka and pulled the gray area to the east side of the railroad tracks. The GSAFU reported that a Russian attack on Berodici was repulsed, while Wargonzo reported that the village was shelled and there was no attack today from Krasnohorivka. Worgonzo also reported continued fighting for control of Kamyanka. To the south of Avdiivka, we pulled the gray area closer to the line of conflict after a series of videos showed that Russian forces had suffered catastrophic losses. Graphic photos and videos showed a World War I battlefield of a torn landscape and trenches so full of dead Russian troops they looked more like mass graves. Some may find the content disturbing, but as with most of the photos and videos we reference here on the podcast, we do link to them in our full situation report on Patreon. A Ukrainian commander called the most recent Russian offense a, quote, blob of troops with no real strategy. Without artillery and armored vehicle support, these losses will continue and are absolutely unsustainable. Russian forces supported by Mobix transferred to the 1st Army Corps, formerly of the DNR, continued their attempts to advance on Avdiivka from Opitne and Spartak and continued to be unsuccessful. There was also a failed Russian advance on Sieverne and Pervomaisky. In the Vukhledar operational area, Russian forces attempted to advance on Novomichailivka and Vukhledar, also without success. A quick note, we didn't forget Marinka, there just weren't any significant combat reports today. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Moving on to Zaporizhia, where there has not been a status update on the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant from the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, Energoatom, or Rosatom since March 13, 2023. So, continuing right along to the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region. Natalia Humenyuk, Director of Communications for Operational Command South, or OCS, reported 12 vessels of the Black Sea Fleet were on patrol, including two frigates capable of launching up to 16-caliber cruise missiles. At the time of recording, information was limited about an air- and sea-based drone attack on the Black Sea Fleet port and headquarters in Russian-occupied Sevastopol. Officials closed the adjacent waters to all commercial and civilian shipping traffic as explosions rocked the region for over two hours starting around 0420 hours local time. Russian-appointed gauleiter and so-called mayor of Sevastopol, Mikhail Razvozhayev, claimed three sea-based drone vessels were intercepted, with windows broken in one neighborhood from the explosion. A radio broadcast in Sevastopol advised residents what to do for future air raids, including proceeding to the nearest shelter, avoiding critical and military infrastructure, not touching or picking up unknown objects, and preparing a, quote, alarm bag. Crimean occupation authorities claim the entirely helpful broadcast was a hack and not an official statement. Russian Su-35 multi-role fighters launched four Kh-59 guided missiles at Odessa. Air defenses intercepted three missiles, while the fourth glanced off the third floor of the Temple of the Moscow Patriarch Monastery exploding just past the building and wounding four clergy members of the Orthodox Church. Russian sources claim that a Ukrainian airbase was hit, destroying MiG-29 fighters, with a video as evidence. However, there is no evidence of a missile strike on the airbase or destroyed equipment in the video. In north and northeast Ukraine, at least one Iranian-sourced Shahed 136 Kamikaze drone struck a dormitory at the Zhishchiv Vocational College of Construction and Economics in Zhishchiv, killing seven and wounding another seven. The website for the college indicated that classes were being held on campus. The college is located in a restive area with no legitimate military targets in the region. The Spaso preobrazhensky Monastery is to the north, and the Bukhrin Beachhead World War II Memorial, where 250,000 soldiers, mostly Ukrainians, died during the defense of Kyiv is to the east. In Sumy, Russian forces firing over the international border hit the Romadas of Bilopilia, Velika Pisarivka, Svesa, Yunakivka, Esmen, Nova Sloboda, and Seredina Buda, with 96 120-mm mortars and 152-mm artillery shells. No casualties were reported. On the Russian front, reported that Ukrainian drones struck the Novozibki refinery, which belongs to the Russian state company Transneft. Power was knocked out in Mamai, Trostan, Druzhba, Novske, and Dubrivka. The anti-Putin-Russian partisan organization Black Bridge claimed responsibility for the explosion and fire at FSB Border Service's headquarters in Rostov-on-Don that killed four last week. Russian officials did not comment. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Russia launched 21 Iranian-sourced Shahed 136 kamikaze drones across Ukraine, with 16 intercepted by air defenses, including 8 in the area of Kyiv. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky condemned the attacks, saying in an early morning statement, quote, "Over 20 Iranian murderous drones plus missiles Numerous shelling occasions, and that's just in one night of Russian terror against Ukraine. Every time someone tries to hear the word peace in Moscow, another order is given there for such criminal strikes. End quote. Quick sidebar. I mean, he's not wrong. The Ukrainian State Bureau of Investigation, or SBI, arrested the deputy commander of a military unit in Odessa for extorting 120,000 hryvnias from a subordinate. The commander allegedly demanded the sum to sign documents facilitating a transfer to a different military unit. The unnamed lieutenant colonel is also accused of acting in collaboration with the head of the materials service of the unit and demanding additional money for signing a bypass sheet not to initiate an investigation into claims of missing body armor. United States Department of Defense spokesperson Patrick Ryder confirmed that Ukraine would receive an older version of American Abrams tanks to speed up their shipment, saying, After further study and analysis on how best to do this, the Department of Defense, in close coordination with Ukraine, has made the decision to provide the M1A1 variant of the Abrams tank, which will enable us to submit significantly expedited delivery timelines and deliver this important capability to Ukraine by the fall of this year." Russian mill bloggers unintentionally spread misinformation about the M1A1, claiming it has a 105mm smoothbore cannon. The variants that will be sent to Ukraine have the NATO-standard 120mm main gun. Speaking of deadly variants, let's talk about the Russian military and mobilization. In Vladivostok, the flow of dead soldiers from the Russian 155th Naval Infantry has become a flood. A two-and-a-half-minute video shows that a new cemetery area has been created, and mortuary trucks were arriving one after another. In another sign that Russia is running out of military resources and the current offensive has reached culmination, new complaints about an old issue, a lack of rations and the quality of food provided, are starting to emerge among Mobics. Andriy Yusov, a spokesperson for Ukraine's Defense Intelligence Directorate, or GUR, estimates Russia continues to mobilize 20,000 fresh troops a month. During a press conference, he added, quote, Regarding the Russian troops, the fact that covert mobilization is still underway in Russia and that further mobilization measures are being planned suggests that mobilization efforts have so far been insufficient. The army is neither effective nor properly trained nor equipped. End quote. The Supreme Court of the Russian Federation, or SCORF, SCORF, clarified how Russia's courts will handle cases where Russian soldiers are deemed to have willfully surrendered. SCORF clarified that a soldier would not be judged according to Russian law if he was captured, for example, due to a severe wound and physically could not resist. Charging guidelines recommend 3 to 10 years in a penal colony for willful surrendering. It will be difficult for a captured soldier to avoid punishment because they must return to the unit by any means and prove that they, quote, did not commit other crimes in captivity, end quote. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's incredibly brief report, but please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. Fifteen children kidnapped by Russia were returned to Ukraine to their legal parents and guardians. The children were abducted from Kharkiv and Kherson regions over a year ago. So far, only 308 children illegally taken to Russia have been repatriated. In geopolitical news, the leaders of Russia and China, Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping, issued a joint statement claiming that it's not what it looks like and that their country's relations are, in fact, not a military-political alliance. The document also notes that Russian-Chinese relations are, quote, mature, stable, self-sufficient, and strong, end quote, and, quote, the friendship of the two nations passed down from generation to generation has a solid foundation." End quote. Okay, quick sidebar. First of all, mature, stable, self-sufficient and strong sounds a lot less like a joint statement and a lot more like someone's hinge profile. And this alleged deeply rooted friendship, are we just going to ignore the Sino-Soviet split of 1958 or the Sino-Soviet border conflict of 1969? The Second Opium Wars? Although they didn't specify which generation to which generation. So I guess technically their so-called friendship could be passed down from millennials to Gen Z. In economic news, as part of the two days of meeting between Putin and Qi, Putin declared, quote, We are in favor of using the Chinese Yuan in settlements between Russia and the countries of Asia, Africa, and Latin America. I am sure that these forms of payments in yuan will be developed between Russian partners and their colleagues in third countries. End quote. This was not going over well with PMZ-Wagner mercenaries in Africa, who are currently paid in U.S. dollars. The Russian Foreign Ministry insists they did not agree to the 120-day extension of the Black Sea Grain Initiative, only 60 days, and threatened to withdraw from the agreement. Again. The Russian Foreign Ministry insists they notified Ukraine, Turkey, and the United Nations of the decision. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand?